From Portland, it's the Fox 12 Weather Podcast. This week, the team breaks down the scorching all-time record-breaking heat. Plus, they are tracking wildfires across the state. Now, here they are, Brian McMillan, Mark Nelson, Jeff Forgeron, and Ann Campolongo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fox 12 Weather Podcast. This is episode 26. I'm meteorologist Brian McMillan, joined by meteorologist Jeff Forgeron. Hey, Jeff. Good to be back, BMAC. And meteorologist Ann Campolongo. Hey, Ann. Hi, Brian. Jeff's coming to you from home. Ann's coming to you from the studio. And, of course, we have meteorologist Mark Nelson, chief meteorologist Mark Nelson. Sorry, Mark. Hey, no problem. You know, I, I don't demand that we say chief meteorologist each time. I'm just one one part of a, a team here at Fox 12. You're right? so humble. You're yes. so humble. Thank you. And I am well, at home. Yes. And Mark is also at home. And we're spread out all over the metro area right now. Uh, we had a heck of a few weeks. It's been a, it's been a few weeks here because of vacations and all of that stuff. Uh, we haven't been with you. But we have a lot to go over. A lot's happened here this summer. Let's start with our local headlines. The news headlines are next. Here's what's happening right now. All right, we're going to start with an event that happened just a few weekends ago. And uh, I don't think any of us are going to forget it for a very, very long time. Portland achieved, oh, overachieved. It's it's all-time hottest temperature ever recorded three days in a row. We called it the heat dome over us, and let's start with this. What meteorologically happened, Mark, to make those temperatures so hot here in the Pacific Northwest? You know, what happened meteorologically, nothing was unusual in the basic setup except the extremes. So we had what we call an upper-level ridge. You go up in the upper atmosphere, and um, an upper-level ridge built over uh, first over the Northeast Pacific just offshore, that means the uh, if you looked at a weather map, you just see an H where the heights are getting higher and higher. And it built and, and it basically formed a bubble of very warm air over that first over that weekend, that last weekend in June. It was centered at one time over southern British Columbia. Then over several days. Okay, it's, now, yeah, I was going to say now we get ridges of high pressure in the summertime quite yes. often. OK, maybe we get a ninety five hundred degree day out of it. But what made this one special? This one was extra hot overhead. So um, something we call uh, 500 millibar heights, for example, that's one way we measure uh, the height of the atmosphere um, up at um, about 18,000 feet. This one in that part of Washington and Southern British Columbia exceeded anything that had been seen in the past. So it was an extra strong ridge, a record strong ridge up there. So first we started with the, the record hot temperatures overhead. Okay, so then that thing slides to the east over that weekend, and that was the perfect setup for us down here in southern Washington and in Oregon. So at the surface, we got easterly flow. Actually, we had easterly flow, winds coming from the east and sweeping out towards the west. Uh, that was pretty widespread from the surface all the way up to five, eight 8,000 feet. So we had wind coming from the interior over the Cascades, down the west slopes of the Cascades, and even briefly down off the west slopes of the coast range. And so that gave us maximum heating from that record warm air mass. So everything was set up to be record, record, record. Yeah. Pretty wild stuff. I mean, speaking of those records, and uh, I think you have the numbers here. Yeah. Uh, so what's the what was the old previous record for Portland? That was 107. 107 degrees. Yeah. That was the time. year I was born, by the way. Right? 
what what year was that? 1981. Uh huh. Was that you? That was that was my that was my uh, birth year. Yep. <laughs> so it'd been a long time. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. <laughs> so so okay. And so how did we do there on that Saturday? Uh, so Saturday we hit 108, and so we over you know hit new to all time record by one degree. Then we got even hotter on Sunday and Monday, which we thought was going to happen. We were afraid it was going to get into the 110s, and that's exactly what we did. 112 Sunday, and then 116 on Monday, which is just incredible. I think all di- all three of those days were kind of a surprise. Wouldn't you agree, Anne, that, uh, you know, that first day, I don't think we thought we were going to beat the the record there that first day, that, that Saturday. I think we were thinking, oh, you know, somewhere around 103, 105, some, 106 maybe. But hitting 108, it was like, oh boy, buckle up, here we go. Uh, and then to achieve 112 the next day, I mean, we could really, it, it felt like walking into an oven. And I know that I know the people in the Southwest, you know, would say, oh, well, we get that all the time. But it's very different here. It's, it just is. And you know what was amazing? We saw it all on the models a week ahead of time. I mean, I would say, is it fair to say five days ahead of time, the models were predicting all-time record heat? And we only slowly kind of worked our forecasts up to that point because, you know, it's hard to say, wow, we're going to hit 108 or 109 or 110. We've never been that hot before. It's hard to make that forecast. Models were extremely consistent. They did an excellent job. They did better than humans. And then as we got closer, they were going, you know, there were models. Actually, most of them were going like 112 to 114, 115 in there. And we kind of didn't believe it until we got within a day or two of that and said, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. And I remember that Saturday when we hit 108. That's when I knew, like, OK, I think it's going to happen. And I think I think that's when it shocked yeah. all of us into, oh, boy, this is this is a serious thing, because, uh, you know, we all thought, well, I don't think it's a at the time, I thought it's not possible to hit 116 here in yes. Portland. I, you know, it, it, we just have we have never gotten even close to that. We didn't think it was atmospherically possible, but here we are. And they nailed it. It was amazing. Yeah, and amazing in a bad way. I, that easterly flow on Monday—that's the day it maxed out. Models perfectly nailed that, showing a widespread. It wasn't strong, but a widespread easterly wind across the area, uh, very low relative humidities, and and the temperature spiking. And also, they were forecasting at 5,000 feet. We call it an 850 millibar temp. We've never been above plus 28 point something, which is in uh, Celsius. And we hit, I think, well, I don't have the number, but was it plus 31? Or did we hit plus 32? Which was, I never thought that would happen at 5,000 feet. Just amazing. And that's plus 31 or 32 uh, degrees Celsius. Celsius. Um, up at, at what height? About four or 5,000 feet, so upper 80s. Timberline hit 90 on that Monday. Timberline Lodge hit 90, which Timberline is absolutely Lodge. amazing. You know, on top of that, we had, uh, because of that, speaking of the mountain, we had a bunch of uh, glacial melting up there. And with that, it, it, it flooded out a campground over there uh, near, was it near Park Rose over there uh, on the east side? Parkdale. Of the, yeah. of the, oh, I'm sorry, Parkdale. Yeah, not Park Rose, Parkdale. And people had to be evacuated out of a camp, campground because it started to flood because of that glacial melt. Yeah, nobody's crying for me, but we had two days reservation at Lawrence Lake last week and it was canceled as they're rebuilding the road. All right, so let's talk about the big numbers. Okay, so Portland, we said Portland hit 116. You said that, Ann, right? Yeah. So in Western Oregon, Salem was the hottest, 117 degrees. I can't believe every time we say that, we go, what? Did that really happen? I know. It did. Wow. Uh, 
some other official numbers that are co-op stations, which we didn't get those numbers until early July, because a lot of places, a lot of weather records are what we call cooperative observers. Like it might be a little old guy that, uh, you know, goes out each morning and reads the number. Might be a nice young lady that goes out. I don't know. I'm getting into the demographics too much, but um, <laughs> St. Helens had a 117. That's the city, uh, not the mountain. Wow. Estacada, the observing station there had a 117. Oh, man. And everybody else was 116 or lower. Okay, that's west of the Cascades. So then we go east of the Cascades. And remember, the Oregon's all-time record is 119 set at Pendleton in 1898. Now, I, it might be kind of fun to get into this since this is, you know, this really rubs me the wrong way. But um, th- supposedly the record is also 119 in 1898 in Prineville up at about 3,000 feet. Jeff is going, nope, didn't happen. You can find a weather blog I did last year on this. It, it, it's very doubtful that actually occurred. Because at Pendleton, the, yeah, the record is 119. Pendleton has approached that record a few times in the last 100 years or so. But Prineville's never come close to that record during that same time. I think Prineville's never been above 107 after that time, which kind of fits in with Central Oregon's weather better. Anyway, so we think in 1898, somebody was, well, sipping too much whiskey. I don't know. I don't know what was going on back in Prineville I bet they in 1898. Put their, I bet they put their thermometer in the sun. Moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> Moonshine. Anyway, so. Moonshine. <laughs> uh, most of us consider Oregon State record 119 in Pendleton. Well, we think officially it was tied now pelton dam which i think had been 117 in the past it is an official observing site which is just south of warm springs in the canyon there it's the dam that on the deschutes pelton dam recorded 119 on the 29th that was an official number so it looks like wow. oregon state record was tied and i'm looking here in washington the washington record is 118 and there are a bunch of locations in no i guess there's only two in washington unofficial that hit 119 so we're going to find out it's possible wow that washington hit a new all-time record possible and then here's one more so the odot has weather stations which are pretty reliable they, they don't tend to be way out of whack so they have weather stations you know along roadways and there is one east of the dalles called salilo it's actually near the old salilo falls if uh, there's a salilo exit there there's a native american village and um, that weather sensor in the two days before the hottest reading, it matched the Dalles, which makes me think it seems reasonable. Like, okay, it matched the Dalles airport, which is an official observing location. Okay, it's not out of whack. And then on the 29th, it went to 122. And I think that was the day. Yeah, I'm not sure. But um, on that day, it went to 122, and the Dalles didn't go as high. It went like one, what was the Dalles? 116, 150. No, the Dallas went to 118. So it was four degrees hotter, supposedly, at Salilo. So if that were verified that that's an okay sensor, that would be an Oregon all-time record as well. But wow. that would require – I don't even know who who does that. Is it national environmental – I don't know. We'll you know, the, the oblique moment for me was that Sunday, which wasn't <laughs> even the hottest day. Um Hoquiam, Washington. Their all-time record was 95, and then before 11 a.m., they hit 100 degrees. And I oh. was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Like that w- And they're, like, almost completely surrounded by water, you know? <laughs> and, just, and didn't they go on to hit, like, 104 or something? Yeah, I, I don't have so. that one here. 
It's just um, wild that these these records weren't just broken; they were ju- they were broken and then shattered, and then yeah, and then sent off into space. Like it, it's so far beyond the record, the all time records. It's just amazing. I think Forks, Washington, you know, home of the vampires. That was a similar thing, wasn't it? Upper 90s was their record, and I've almost never seen them go above 90. And then they hit like 107 or something like it was just crazy. Wow. So yeah, Hoping, big, you know big what? Temperature I'm, records. It's funny because Mark had always said, and he, and <laughs> oh. Mark let Mark oh. said doom and gloom sometimes. Do it. But he he always said, oh, you know, someday before I retire, yeah. I want to see it hit 110 in Portland. Well, here we go. It's happened. So, it's not the, so not the first the, time he said that. Check that off your retirement list, Mark. I've still yeah. got about two more to go. One is an eruption of Mount Hood. Not deadly, but just yeah. a good show. <laughs> That's on my list that. as well. <laughs> I want to see. Is that the other one or the windstorm? Oh, yeah. Didn't you want oh. a big flood, too? I did say I'd like to see one big flood again. And I would like to see, you know, a, uh, you know, uh, maybe let's say just say Augusta 85 at PDX from the south, That's a normal right. south windstorm we all know about and we're all careful, you know. Um, yeah. Okay, one last point. Back back <laughs> oh, to serious Lord? numbers here. Oh, my goodness. I'm, di- I'm diverting from my negative uh, stuff here. So it's interesting. So if you look at all those high temperature records now, in most of the Pacific Northwest, uh, Western Oregon, Western Washington, for sure, when we look back at the all-time temperature records, they're almost they're all from the same time, almost all from the same time, right? They'll have the same date within a day or two, right? Yeah. Um, whereas you go to the all-time record lows for all these places, they're all over the board. Cold waves are more scattered, different areas. Uh, we can all be cold, but a certain pattern has to be just right to get a certain station down to minus five or whatnot. You know, PDX has to have the east wind go calm and we need snow cover to get a record low. So it'll be interesting. The all-time highs are all going to have the same year pretty much, but the all-time lows are still going to be scattered all over the decades. From uh, June 25th to the 28th, during that historic heat wave, uh, the Multnomah County uh, Medical Examiner's Office has now identified 71 deaths, and that's just in Multnomah County. The suspected cause of death was called hyperthermia. You've heard of hypothermia, I'm sure, you know, being cold water and things like that. This is hyperthermia, and that's, you know, due to exposure to extreme heat. Youngest person was 48 years old. The oldest was 97. And as expected, most of those people who died were either on the older side or living alone or both. And nearly none of them had functioning air conditioning. So, so sad. Jeff, how do you, you know, you grew up in Palm Springs. How did it compare to what you've experienced? It, when you say it felt different, I, I, I would have to say that was my opinion as well. I think the sun angle just feels different up here. Um, this happened in right after the summer solstice. So this was during peak heating um, around the 26th, 28th. Um, and down in Southern California, it just, you don't feel that kind of intensity with the sunlight, in my opinion. Um, and maybe you just get used to the scorching heat consistently. Um, but up here, man, it, it and there were times at night, I, I, I felt this experience uh, quite often in, in the desert southwest, but um, your temperature falls into the 90s, 80s, and your humidity starts to go up. You start to get closer to the dew point. And so it started really feeling nasty outside during the overnights, really sticky. Um, so it was almost like the overnights felt a little bit worse than the middle of the day. Um, that dry heat is something that you can kind of withstand if you go out in spurts. But man, that overnight low... 
uh, or the overnight temperatures just dropping like slowly through the 90s and eventually the 80s and briefly the upper 70s. That feels pretty nasty too. So um, well, I should mention we also set the all-time record for overnight low as well, a record warm overnight low during that uh I think it was during the second night, wasn't it? Wasn't it uh, that uh, Sunday morning. night into early Monday morning? You know, it's also worth mentioning, is it Lighton, British Columbia? Is that how you pronounce the city? Um, they hit – or part of British, interior British Columbia hit 119. They they hit an all-time record high. You would That's never the all-time think, record for the entire country. Right. You yeah. would never think that Canada would hit 119. That's like <laughs> – that's like Palm Springs, Death Valley type of weather. Yeah. Um, it, and then all the fires breaking out uh, afterwards was just uh, the bad cherry on top, if you will. I, I couldn't believe the night when I got home on Sunday night. And I live up at 1,000 feet. You know, we're in the rainforest here, west end of the gorge where I live. 1,000 feet. And, and during any heat wave, I will get home. Let's say it's been 102 in Portland. Let's just say 105, 102. And I'll get home here. It'll be 78, maybe 80 degrees. Because it just cools off up in the forest, you know. And I got home that night. There was an easterly breeze blowing, which is unusual where I live. And it was 93 at 12.30 a.m. up here in the woods. And I could not believe that. It had that freakish feel that we had during that Labor Day windstorm, um, you know, that started all the fires. I I just got out of my car and I'm like, this is not natural. This is not normal for this area. And to, to an extreme, I was just blown away by how hot it could be. So I know those yeah. those with air conditioning, you know, the, I heard the air conditioners down in the south, like, you know, in, in those areas like Palm Springs and stuff, they work. They're better air conditioners overall. <laughs> they just they can pump out more cold air. I don't know if that's true, but um, yeah. And then there's the feeling of getting used to it. We're just not used to it up here. And did you have air, air conditioning in your place? Yeah, I just got my bill for last month. And uh, <laughs> it is uh, kind that? of steep. <laughs> it's Ooh. probably the highest. I mean, it's not crazy high, but it's the highest it's been, I think, since I've lived here. But I, I had my like, air on the whole time. I mean, I kept it up as high as I could. But even with the shades drawn, you know, I get the afternoon sun, unfortunately, and it was it was it was hot. And like you make couldn't sure keep up, right? Um, yeah, like in the afternoon, it's already set high because I leave. But I didn't really change it, and so it was just sitting there. And then with the sun, it was just getting hotter and hotter. Yeah. And then when I tried to, you know. If I turned it down, then it had to really work, and then it took longer. So I just talked to an old yeah, neighbor. Uh, they, he was just checking out his property next door, but he, he's living with his sister. They're both probably over 75. And I said, you had air conditioning, right? And she said, no, I couldn't get it repaired, so we just had to suffer through it. And I said, what? And she said, sure enough, in those days leading up to it, she hadn't gotten it fixed from last year, whenever. And, and I asked how warm it got. She couldn't get it repaired, of course, because, you know, they were overbooked. And uh, she said it got up to 90 in their place. And that's such a danger with the elderly. I said, what were you thinking? And she kind of laughed. She said, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. But, you know, just the stress on a body at that temperature, sitting in 90 degrees for long periods of time is a lot for elderly folks. Yep. And that's why so many people died here around the Portland area. A lot, again, didn't have air conditioning, didn't have fans mm-hmm. going and stuff like that. And heat is the number one cause, uh, num- number one weather related cause of death here in our country. So it should be taken very, very serious. Make sure next time something like this happens, hopefully it doesn't. But even when we get over 100 degrees, make sure to check in on those elderly neighbors, of course, your family and friends as well. Uh, here's a big question. Uh, Mark and I were talking about this a little bit, but. Uh, would have this have been worse if it happened later in the summer, let's say, you know, late July, maybe August, 
Mark, you and I were talking about this. What do you think? I think it would have been similar. I, I would not have forecast differently. Well, let's say it was two weeks ahead from now, so that'd be the end of July. I look at those same upper level models, the 850 millibar temps, the surface flow, and I probably would have gone with the same temps. I don't think it would be different. Um, you know, you could make the argument, wait, it's earlier in the season. The Well, you could, you could not argue the atmosphere is cooler earlier in the season because it wasn't. It's the same. But maybe you could argue the ground is cooler, of course, in late June. But does that matter when it was all coming mm -hmm. down from subsidence from an upper level high and the hot air? What do you guys think? What about the sun angle lowering just a tad, just enough for the sun setting just a little bit earlier? You a know, little longer of a time? night, maybe. Yeah. 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 Maybe that would have helped knock it down a degree or two. You know, that 1981 know. heat wave, that was, I think, August 10th. And that's getting near the later range of when we have extreme heat. Once you, I, I've noticed once we get to about August 15th, we need like decent easterly flow to get up into the 100s typically, which you you can get up to 100 with just flat, you know, no onshore flow in July. But it's pretty hard to do that once you hit August 15th. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that 1981 heat wave, when you hit 107 around the 10th or the 11th, Maybe that would have been a 108 or 110 if it was in late June. I mean, that's my gut feeling. Could we make the argument? I know you kind of scratched the surface on this, but um, our record dry spring, we had an environment that was record dry. Our, you know, our trees, our forests. So they were probably letting off less evapotranspiration. So potentially our temperatures are swinging more rapidly from day to night because we have a drier environment. Uh, like kind of like a desert, but it's not quite that extreme. But in a desert atmosphere, desert environment, you see big swings in temperatures, low relative humidity. So I just wonder if that was a slight contributing factor. And Mark, maybe your theory about, or Brian, you too, like later in the summer tends to be a little drier. So potentially that gives way to bigger swings in temperatures as well. Um, it's just been a strange year. So I just, I don't know if that contributes that March, April, May, that terribly dry spring we had. I think just like the fires in the last fall, and I think just like in, in, in a similar way, this was kind of the perfect storm, the perfect scenario, right? Uh, you I had think the highest, so. Yeah, the highest sun, sun angle of the year. You had the dry conditions all spring long, and then you had this thing just settle in right on top of us, right? J or just to the north of us. And I think it was just kind of everything happened perfectly for this extreme event. It seems reasonable, Jeff, especially since when we had the uh, each afternoon, we were getting dew points were suddenly lowering as a little bit of northeast or easterly flow would kick in across the like northwest Oregon. And you would see the dew points drop. So you knew the air was coming in from the east where it's been, you know, record dry. Although, on the other hand, and maybe we can talk about this in a few minutes. Um, one Cliff Massup at the UW says, nope, that didn't have anything to do with it. So I got a few thoughts on that when we talk about that in a few minutes. Let's talk about plants real quick here. Our plants uh, like took a really big hit. I don't know about you guys, but uh, got singed uh, leaves everywhere all around my house, especially on the south side of the house. And uh, some of <laughs> some of our poor vegetables uh, didn't didn't quite make it. Unfortunately, the beans got all dried out and all that stuff. But uh, oh well, the tomatoes are still doing okay. But uh, as far as you guys, how did your plants handle all this? Um, I, so I, I mentioned this before we started the podcast, but, uh, I moved into my house in May, 2020, planted a brand new baby Japanese maple. It's been doing great. It's been shooting up. Um, I would say 70% of the leaves are singed. They're just, they're kind of crinkling They're They look like they're about to fall off. So that plant I'm worried about that tree. Um, 
I have a few apples on each of my baby apple trees coming, you know, kind of uh, maturing at this point. And I think two out of five of them have big black spots on them. They look like they just got, they're like rotting almost before they're even ripening. Mark, do any of your apples look like that on your apple trees? Mine all look fine, but at my house, it was only 106 degrees up here at 1,000 feet. So I think just being 106, yes, it was maybe six, seven degrees warmer than I've ever had up here. But maybe that's just enough to keep the, the most extreme issues going. I noticed like the hostas are a little bit burned. Um, I was using a lot of water from the well. But um, everything else, my rhododendrons, they look okay. So maybe, you know, when you get to 110 and beyond, that's maybe that's when things really go bad. Yeah, the poor grass. All the grass in our neighborhood just oh. is toast as well. Yeah, it's gone. And, they, and, and <laughs> yeah, you, don't, you, don't it. have any, you don't have any plants out on anything. So your no. all yours were safely inside in the air I conditioning. So I'm sure they're fine, right? Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> good, good. Let's talk about climate change. Mark, you teased it a little bit. But, you know, I think a lot of people are wondering, does climate change have something to do with what happened here for those three days. Now, let's be honest. None of the four of us are climatologists, right? We, we don't study climate regularly. Would we agree? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, but, we, you know, we read different studies, and, and, you know, I'm sure there'll be many different studies done on this. I've seen two. I don't know which ones you, you three have seen. The two I've seen, one is from the, I think it's worldwide, no, there's too many Ws, world weather attribution studies. They tend to um, it, it's like a, a consortium of scientists that like to get together after an event and say, okay, did climate change, human cause, the human part of climate change, ca- uh, either cause this event or make it worse? You know, they kind of look into that. It tends to, and I looked at the study they just did in our event and they say, yes, it's all statistical. It doesn't look at like the dynamics of, you know, where was the upper level high and this and that so much. Um, and what they said was this was a one in, was it thousand year event? One thousand. Ten, ten thousand. One in one th- Oh, I thought it was 10,000. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, no. And they do, what in I a think, long time. We'll say I that. I think I heard that. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, Jeff, I think I heard that. But the, the issue is, and I've heard from other you know, climatologists just say, wait, when it's that extreme, we can't really say, okay, it's only going to happen one, once on average once every 10,000 years. But I guess the point is, like you guys just jokingly said, it, it's a very long time. It's, this probably has not happened in a long time. And probably wouldn't again. But they say if the Earth were to warm another, let's say, two degrees, they estimate this would be a once every five or ten year event. That was, you know, that, that isn't peer reviewed yet, but they've put that out. So that's one study. And then the other one is from Cliff Mass up at the University of Washington. He looked at several things. And one that I thought was interesting, well, he kind of, well, he more or less said no. He said there wasn't much human influence on this. That was his opinion. Um and he did have a few interesting points. One was that I thought was fascinating. He reran a model and soaked the ground all across the Pacific Northwest as if we had just had flooding, everything is wet. And he came up with the same high temps, which is hard to believe because we talked about, well, if the dry soil would make it hotter. He claims that it would not have been, wait, did I say that right? It would not have been uh, any hotter with dry soil than wet soil. So he's saying, no, the dry soil didn't contribute to it. Um yeah, that those are the only two I, studies I find I've that, seen so I find far. that fascinating that part because I mean I think that that's shocking that's shocking to me that uh, totally wet soil wouldn't have any impact on that. But it's hard to believe. It is. It uh, is. I think I read an analysis from uh, two former weather underground meteorologists, Jeff Masters and Bob Henson, and they were talking about a theory that is going around. I don't know if there's any like. Um, 
concrete evidence to back it up, but that the jet stream may be buckling up a little bit, maybe slowing down. And because of that, we're seeing weather systems stall, which may have contributed. Um, they also said that there are some studies that, yes, climate change should add one, two to three degrees of heating per potential extreme weather event. But I guess there are some climate scientists that are suggesting that some of our extreme events, we could see like five to seven degree temperature swings. While in most cases, like you only see like a one to three degree addition to the event, some of the extreme events could see bigger swings in the future. And this may be evidence of like one of those things. It's hard to say though, because we have so little, I don't know, uh, events to support it. You know, we don't have a lot of these to to study and to, um, but anyways, just some theories, I guess, floating around that I saw. Interesting. I think it's all really good. Yeah. Also all good stuff. And we're going to hear more coming up. I think over time, I'm sure there'll be studies done on this since it was such an extreme event, but, um, one would just assume if we know we're warming and, and, and here in the Pacific Northwest, especially west of the Cascades, it seems to be most obvious in the summer when you look at the records. Um, so one would think we'd have more heat, you know, in the future, you know, like we're seeing our 90 degree days come up. But um, would we have another event like this in the next 20 years where Portland hits 116? I, I would think that's pretty unlikely. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess the point is we're warming. And so, yes, Portland is not a climate like in the past when I grew up that, where you can say, well, you don't really need air conditioning here. It's becoming tougher and tougher to say that. Yeah. We we are setting more warm records than cold records. That is a yes. fact. We and that's even in, even in rural areas, too. That's, I mean, we've got the urban heat island in the city, but even in rural areas, it's the same way. So. Let's talk about wildfires, okay? Over the past, well, week or two weeks here, we've seen them pop up. And one of the biggest ones, the Bootleg Fire, now over 200,000 acres. It is our first mega fire of the season, and mega fires are any wildfires that reach over 100,000 acres. Uh, that one's out there on the southern part of our state. It's east of, or northeast of Klamath Falls. What is that? What is that little tiny town? Uh, three le- three letters. Bly. Bly. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, just north of Bly, and uh, they've been it's been pushed off to the east here with this constant westerly wind that just keeps coming through and gusting up between twenty and thirty miles an hour every day. Uh, we also have the Jack Fire. That one's at about twelve thousand five hundred acres. They're starting to get some containment on that one. That one was east of Roseburg along which highway was that, Mark? 138. 138. 138. Diamond Lake Highway. That's it. Diamond Lake Highway, yes. Uh, Yes. And that highway's been closed, I believe, this entire time. Uh, Can you go to Diamond Lake still? You can't get there from from Roseburg, right? You can come there from Medford or from the east side. Yeah. Yeah. But you, like, Diamond Lake isn't closed right now, is it? No. Because of the fire? It's, I mean, no, it's open. Okay. Yes, it's open. Got it. And then we have a brand, uh, let's see here, we have another fire, the Grandview Fire. That is at 5,700 acres. That is out there in Central Oregon, just west of Crooked River Ranch. That one's a little more worrisome because that one's near populated areas. A lot of vacation homes out there, Crooked River Ranch, people live out there. Uh, then we have a couple others, uh, brand new ones here as of the past couple of days. The Bruler Fire, 
That's 90 acres near Detroit, just south of Detroit. So that would obviously worry some for all the folks that had to deal with uh, fires last uh, last fall. And then there is the Lyle Hill Fire. That's 2,000 acres in the Columbia River Gorge. That one's also a little worrisome because uh, we have that westerly wind that keeps kicking in every day. So lots of fires, one mega fire. Wow. By the way, that bootleg fire, about 200,000 acres or so, it's within a few thousand acre, acres of beating the either Lion's Head or Beachy Creek fire. One of those was 200,000. Lion's Head was 200,000 last year. That's right. And once it does that, that'll be our biggest fire since the Buzzard Complex. It's in that spreadsheet everybody got this morning that I sent out. <laughs> everybody looked at all the when entries was the buzzer, When was the Buzzard right? Complex? When was that? I think it was 2014. Okay, so the so biggest, biggest, biggest fire in several years. Seven. Yeah. You know... Did you guys see, I mean, okay, we're recording this podcast for all of our viewers on Wednesday, excuse me, Tuesday, rather. Between Monday evening and Tuesday morning, the bootleg fire scorched like 50,000 acres. Yeah. Yeah. Like a fourth of the, the acreage burned occurred in about a 12-hour period. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw the satellite imagery. Oh, we did. Mark, you posted it. Wow. I, I know you two, Mark and Brian, you were in studio and, and you were on your weekend, but that nighttime in- imagery was unbelievable. Just how many hot spots were scorching the earth out there. That thing is it's pumping amazing out what smoke. The, it's amazing what that Go satellite can see from twenty-two thousand miles out in space. Just it was like a twenty-five mile long line of fire moving east slowly. And do we, Brian? Do we mention that it is threatening some trans, some major transmission lines that go from Oregon down into California? And uh, they've sent California hotshots up into Southern Oregon to fight this fire, because I mean the ramifications are even huge for Northern California at this point. Yeah. I think it may have passed by yesterday. It did the day before. I think I have to look on Google Maps. It should be a pretty obvious line. <laughs> But I thought they said they were going to go check on them as if, you know, it had already gone by. I think they de-energized it, I thought. I don't know. Maybe I hope know. so. Yeah. Um, didn't hear much regarding that update. But I think just it's amazing how quickly that one has been spreading. And it kind of speaks more broadly to how bad the drought is out there. These mega fires, uh, there's been 22 of them since 1980. 15 of them have been east of the Cascades. Five in the Cascades. And uh, two of them in southwestern Oregon. And... From September 2020 to now, we've had six of them. Beachy Creek, Holiday Farm, Lion's Head, Riverside, and Archie Creek all occurred last fall. And the bootleg fire now here uh, this summer. Uh, Another thing, the amount of smoke, you just talked about that, Brian. The amount of smoke combined with all the fires burning in the Northwest. I had two friends reach out to me yesterday. One in Denver, Colorado. One in Salt Lake City, Utah. And both said that the sky has been nasty for multiple days. And I hate to say it, but I mean, they've probably got at least another month and a half of smoky skies, yeah. like on and off. Uh, much of the Western United States and, and off to the east is dealing with east. Yeah, it's. Yeah, even the Midwest is seeing have, it. Too. Have you heard, has any family or any friends in Ohio said anything about the smoke? I wonder if you'll hear no. anything, man. Yeah, I had just seen someone, I think a meteorologist I follow in like Wisconsin, and they had posted the, the yeah. satellite, and you could see it just kind of the smoky, hazy skies out there in like Wisconsin. It's crazy. Crazy how far yeah. that stuff can travel. And uh, uh, the West is is really on fire right now. And I'm hoping that we don't see a whole bunch more fires here uh, coming up. We've been so dry. Yes, Mark? 
you know, every once in a while, we, we like to have a light at the end of the tunnel. Every once in a while, every few years, and probably once every three or four years, we do get showers, some sort of cooler fall type pattern at the end of August, or for sure by early September. And then every once in a while, we do actually get a, you know, cloudy-ish, cool-ish September where it's like fire season just kind of ends. So maybe, maybe if we get lucky, this will be one of those years where like the third week of August, we get an inch and a half of rain in the lowlands and the mountains get three inches. I mean, it can happen. So we'll hope there's an early rain, you know, and then you can go back to summer weather after that, but that would really douse things nicely. Mark, Maybe. I love that you. I love that you're ending this uh, fire talk with that because I want to. I do want to talk about something positive here because it's been kind of a heavy podcast talking about, you know, all, all the the heat and now the fires, but we have an amazing week ahead here of some beautiful weather. And you're working on the forecast. What are, what are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, our pattern. Uh, we've been saying it is pretty consistent. I don't have my sheet right in front of me, but. Um, I know the next three days we're talking mid to upper seventies, which would be nice, kind of cloudier, refreshing, maybe drizzle. Oh, I'll take I'll take yeah. a little drizzle. It can even be a little That'll bit more good. than that. Whatever you want to put on there, I'm fine with. <laughs> Anything else big going on with you guys? I know I know somebody's getting married here in a couple weeks. Oh, I was wondering if that was going to come up in here. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Jeff. Uh, Jeff's finally finally doing it here. He had all the excuses in the world. He blamed things on the pandemic, whatever. But now. <laughs> Now we're dragging him down the aisle, aren't we? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It's coming up fast. I think it's three weeks from Sunday, um, and I'm excited wow. that all of you are going to be there to support me. So thank we're you. So excited, buddy. Yes. All the listeners, uh, can you give the address? Yeah, actually, can you tell everybody? I mean, I'm sure people would like to show up. So it's going to be the place that doesn't have smoke in the air. I hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers yeah, crossed. We will see. Yeah. I'm, How's the planning going? Everybody is Katie. Is she handling most of this, or, or do you have your input as well? Uh, I have very little input because Katie. Good man. Katie works in the bridal industry, so it's not just like the fiance is trying to plan this thing. But no, she's so embedded in it that she's just kind of taking the reins. But uh, it's really exciting watching her plan this, and I'm trying to support her as best as possible. And um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a great time. It's just. You know, we hope that the the weather you know sets up the the way that it should. Um, if we were to have this, you know, last year it would have been pretty decent. But remember, late August, early September last year, boy, did we get smoky around the Willamette Valley. So our own Stephanie Domerot actually got married, like she married in the smoke. Remember, right as that smoke arrived, yeah. I mean, she barely snuck yeah. that in. I think she did it out at Hoyt Ar- Arboretum in Portland. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, we're we're excited. We're just keep we're staying optimistic, and uh, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, BMAC. <laughs> hey, we're excited for you, and I'm excited to get have an excuse to do some dancing and partying. There It'll you be go. Fun. Yeah, you'll get to do I that. Haven't been oh, to a oh. wedding in a long time. Get the cell phones out, Mark, and and I can't wait to see BMAC getting down on the dance yeah. floor. Oh, that should be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this this uh, this has justified a longer podcast for sure. This was a heck of a few weeks. Wow. One for the At least ages. We got some nice what we- yeah, we got some nice weather ahead though. Enjoy those morning clouds. Enjoy the potential for a little bit of drizzle and temperatures in the seventies <laughs> here the next few days. <laughs> drizzle for shizzle. Yep. We'll take whatever we can get now at this point. But everybody stay safe out there. Hope you have a really great week. Enjoy this cooler weather. Enjoy your summertime. We'll be back here in a couple weeks. We'll see you then. Do you have a weather question? Call 503 
248-648-6484 and leave a message. It could be featured on a future episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Fox 12 Weather Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Head to kptv.com for the latest forecast and weather information for your area.